been looking forward to being with you today to be able to share this message with you. Eric asked me several months ago, I'm grateful that he gives me some lead time to get ready. He told me, he said, I'm going to have to be out on October the 11th. I want to see if you would preach for me on that day. Well, I was pleased to do that. I asked him, I said, what, what series are you going to be in at that time? And he said, we'll be on stewardship series. And I said, well, that's great because that's really one of my favorite themes in scripture. And uh, for fear that you will think that's the only sermon that I have, because that's what I've done the last two or three times, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to do this with you today. There are other great themes in Scripture, but this is one that I believe um, God would have us spend some time with in the life of our church, uh, and that there is a need for our clear understanding of our role as stewards and God's role as owner. We've been blessed as a church to be able to participate in a pilot study that uh, we're doing with a group called The Steward's Way. Uh, several of you are a part of groups, uh, life groups here in our church that are going through that pilot study right now. We're having the opportunity to be able to uh, test some curriculum that they're developing, and they're going to be launching in a much broader way later. And so that's been a real blessing for us to be able to go through that journey together. This past summer, Jan and I opened our home to have a group of about 20 college students in our home. I see two of y'all up there on the top row uh, that were in our home this past summer. And we went through study together. Bree, there you are, in the steward's way. Um, we took that group through that same study uh, over the course of the summer. You might wonder, why in the world would you do that? What are you going to teach a bunch of college students about stewardship? They don't have any money anyway. Well, it's not about money. That's because the, the misunderstanding that stewardship somehow is about money. Stewardship is about ownership, and it's about understanding that God owns everything and understanding our role as his managers, his caretakers of what he has entrusted to us. This theme of stewardship begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. We find that God created man in his own image, and in that moment he said to man, he said, now you are in charge here. He said, of all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the things that creep and crawl on the earth, you have dominion over them. God gave man a responsibility of stewardship in that moment. And we find that theme threaded throughout Scripture. Jesus had much to say about this issue of stewardship. So we were taking college students through that. I wanted them to begin to understand some of the importance of this concept of God as owner and us as manager, caretaker, steward. We finished that study, and we had about four weeks left in the summer. And I said to them, look, we've taken you through this study, not so you can just know a bunch of stuff, but really you have a responsibility and an obligation to teach other people what you've been being taught. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2 was the responsibility of a disciple, to teach others what you have been taught. So I took them through the study of Philippians in four weeks. We went through the four chapters of Philippians, and I said to them, I want to give you some tools in your toolbox to help you be a better student of God's word and to be able to communicate when you're teaching other people. I'm really pleased to tell you that about 80% of those students are leading other people in some kind of discipleship groups right now on their school campuses, through InterVarsity, through Young Life, through Campus Crusade, uh, through Baptist Campus Ministries, through their local church. God's doing an amazing thing in the young adult ministry of this church. I've just got to tell you, there are some wonderful young adults here who are very passionate about Jesus. As we made our way through that journey, I, one night I said, I want to teach you a tool called Make Space for God. So if you've got a pencil, write this down, S-P-A-C-E, and it's just a little acrostic. It's a five-question tool that you can use with any passage of Scripture that would just help you be able to glean what is it that God is saying to me out of this passage of Scripture, or how could I even use that as a way of teaching, and that's what I was seeking to prepare them to do. 
So space stands for this. Is there a sin to confess? Yes. Is there a sin to confess? Does this passage of Scripture address a sin issue in my life? P, is there a promise to claim? Is this passage of Scripture addressing something that God has done for me, already declared to be true, that I need to be walking in in faith? A, is there an attitude that I need to adopt? Is this passage of Scripture addressing a change of heart that I need to make in terms of attitude? C, is there a command to obey? Is this passage of Scripture teaching me something I need to do? E, an example to follow. Is there an example in this passage of Scripture of someone that I need to follow? Someone I need to emulate? Well, it's that example to follow that I want to use kind of as the foundation for the message today. Eric has had us on this journey through Deuteronomy uh, for this stewardship study. And I was talking with him on the phone last night. I said, when you mentioned that we were going to be doing the series on stewards, I did not, my first guess would not have been Deuteronomy. But wow, what a joy it's been to go through this study. Because as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we see there are four consistent external focused themes of stewardship. Four outward manifestations of the steward. We find first, as we walk through the study of Deuteronomy, we find a theme of the tithe. And that was one of the things Eric talked about two weeks ago. The giving of the first fruits of all that your land produces, of your crops, and the giving of a tenth of that. Then last week, he dealt with the second of those, is offerings. We find in Deuteronomy a teaching that there is a distinction made between the tithe and then over and above offerings that were given periodically. The two additional themes that we find in this book are one, care for the poor and the widow. And the fourth theme we find in this book is inheritance, the theme of inheritance. And it's that theme that I want to spend some time with us looking at today in this message. But I just want to give you one example. If you'll look to Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, here's just one example of the picture of the poor and the needy. The Bible says, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to the poor, to your needy who are in your land. That's just one of those examples of that picture of addressing issues of the poor and needy as an act of stewardship. Well, the passage of Scripture I will direct us to today is Deuteronomy chapter 12. And I want us to look at inheritance from Deuteronomy, but I said I want us to look at examples because there are four examples in Scripture that I believe are there for us to follow the model that's given as it relates to inheritance. So we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 in just a moment. But when I think of inheritance, this is what I think of. I think of a will. This is my will and my wife's will uh, that I have with me today. Now the good news for you is that you are listed in this will. Okay, I'm not kidding you. If you're a part of First Baptist Church of Norfolk, you will benefit from my passing, okay? I'm not ready for you to take me out today, but I, look, I, you're, you're going to benefit from that. I want you to know that. We have named this church as a beneficiary of part of our state. Why would we do that? Because I believe that we find today an example of four examples of this idea of inheritance. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 12. And uh, beginning with verse 10, and what I want you to see is the first example of um, this steward 
in relation to inheritance is God himself. Verse 10 says, But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you the rest, gives you rest from your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hands, and your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. You see the word inherit, inheritance uh, twice in that passage of Scripture. Now, what I want you to know about that is that God is setting a precedent for Israel. This is rooted in the Abrahamic, the Abrahamic covenant we find in Genesis chapter 12, where God said to Abraham, look, you're to leave the land where you are and go to the land that I will show you. And I'm going to make you a father of many. And it will be through you, Abraham, that the entire world will be blessed. It's all tied to that picture of that covenant with Abraham. You see, when we think about a will, we think about naming as a, as a recipient or a benefactor of a gift in a will has something to do with relationship. You see, God was in a covenant relationship with Abraham. He had promised him that he would have this son. And the son Isaac, you recall, had a son Jacob, had a son Joseph. And it is through that line God said that he would bless the entire world. We have a picture here of God giving something to someone that he chose, that he identified, that he loved. You might ask, well, who is he to do that? Who is he to give away what seems like someone else's land? Well, let me remind you, he is the Lord God Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and the maker of earth, according to Isaiah forty-five eighteen. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. You see, God has every right to do with this earth whatever he desires. And in this case, he said to the children of Israel, there is an inheritance for you. No less than 15 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. I stopped counting by the time I got to chapter 18 as I was reading through. The number of times that we find this phrase, as you enter or as you possess the land, the Lord your God will give you. It was an inheritance. If we look through the history of civilizations, what we find is groups of people that gather together and as they enlarge in number and they increase in strength and might, one group overtakes another group. Uh, with their sheer physical power, they are able to overcome um, another group of people and rule over them. They may enslave them. They may kill their king. There are all kinds of things. We find that scattered throughout the history of the world. Not so with Israel. Because at this point, God says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, when you go in and possess the land, I, the Lord your God, will go in and fight for you. You see, he had different kinds of tactics about how this land was going to be given to them. Do you remember the weapons of war? Trumpets, shouting, clay pots, torches in the middle of the night. I mean, they don't sound like very threatening kinds of weapons. It's because God wanted the children of Israel to never forget this land that your feet are standing on. This promised land was a land that I gave to you as an inheritance. 
I don't know how many of you have been to Israel, but there is something special about that place. Um, uh, in the middle of a desert, there is incredible prosperity. Uh, it is an amazing place. That land that was promised, they're occupying today. I can't explain all that. What I want you to know is that God is the one who gives us the first example for us to follow of this picture of inheritance. He is the one who chose them. He chose Abraham and chose to bless him, but he said there was a reason behind that. I'm blessing you today because through you, Abraham, the entire world will experience blessing. Now, we know on this side of the cross that that means for us that Christ came through the lineage of Abraham and that the entire world has been blessed because of Christ's coming. See, I think that it's important for us to recognize that God is a great model and a great example for us to follow in this thought about inheritance. Directing assets as he chooses. God is the owner. That's what he did. Look to Job chapter 42. So you have another interesting passage of scripture. The very end of Job uh, chapter 42, the last few verses in that text, uh, beginning with verse 10, the Bible says that, I'm sorry, verse 12, the Bible says, now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had uh, 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemima, uh, Jemima, uh, the second uh, Keziah, and the third he named Karen Hapak. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. What do we learn from Job as an example? Well, I think one of the things that we learn from Job is that Job was also intentional about directing the distribution of his assets where he believed that God would have him to go. And in this case, that was directed toward family. I believe that's the natural order of things that happen in an inheritance. We want to bless those who are nearest to us. I think we have a great example of Job in recognizing all of his family. In a male-dominated culture, and often in a culture where the inheritances went to sons, the Bible tells us here that Job included all of his family. He blessed his daughters as well. I think the indication of Scripture would be that the inheritance going to the males in the family, that they would also see to it that their sisters were cared for, likely. But the Bible tells us here that Job specifically identified his daughters as well. And he left to them an inheritance. That's a good thing to do. The Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twenty two that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, lest you think that God is about skipping generations and you're worried, thinking, my parents are going to skip me. They're going to give it all to the grandkids. I don't think that's what he means there. I, I think that it's reasonable to consider that as a steward, as a good, faithful steward of what God has entrusted to you, is that you would be blessed in a way that you not only can bless your children, but you also can bless subsequent generations. It's also a reminder to us that the blessing that we pass on to future generations is not limited to material possessions. You see, you can inherit all kinds of things. I watched a documentary this week called The Children of Hitler. It's very interesting. These were descendants of very high-ranking Third Reich officers. 
And the legacy that they had inherited of a last name from their parents that they have had to live with for these 60, 70 years has been a very negative legacy. But they were left an inheritance that they did not necessarily desire. But the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is a good thing. When we look at Job, one of the other things that we see is that Job recognized the source of his blessings. You see, God was the one who had prospered him and blessed him more in the end of his life. And Job, in recognizing that God was the source of those blessings, chose to distribute those assets that God had given to him and entrusted to him onto his children for them to continue to care for. In Job's case, he did that before he actually died is the indication of Scripture. What I want just to remind you of is that God is a good model of giving an inheritance. Job is also a good model of giving an inheritance to your family. Look at John chapter 4, verse 6. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Actually, back up to verse 5 for just a moment. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 5, we read these words. And he, referring to Jesus, came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and when the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Such an interesting passage of Scripture from this perspective of inheritance. What does chapter 5 tell us? That Jacob gave this well, this plot of land to his son. It was an inheritance. It was passed on into the family. If you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 33, verse 19, you see the story of Jacob buying this plot of land. Why was he buying it? it? He was buying it because he was going to live there. The Bible says that he was going to pitch his tents there on this piece of property. They were going to dwell there. Well, what do you need if you're going to live in this area? You've got to have water. Jacob dug or had a well dug on this property. Why? Well, he was blessing himself. He needed water to live. That made sense. But you know, when he dug that well, he ended up blessing his family as well because that water, there was enough water there to sustain not only him, but his family. The indication from Scripture is that 1,800 years later, that well is still blessing people. He blessed himself by digging this well. He blessed his family by digging this well. He blessed subsequent generations, and in the end... He blessed the Son of God. We find Jesus sitting here at this well. It shows this site for the purpose of being able to announce to the world and to this Samaritan woman that he was the source of living water. Not just the water that would fill their physical needs, but he was the source of water who would deal with the thirst of our souls. This is a picture of a legacy gift. You see that he did something that continued to have 
benefit for years and years to come. Blessing countless thousands, yea, millions of people along the way through that period of time. What a great example for us to follow of thinking about stewarding our assets in such a way that we invest in things that have long-term giving power. And that we invest our resources in such ways that we are able to give well beyond our living years. It's a beautiful picture from John's Gospel on legacy giving. I would also say to you that um, the fourth example that we would consider, not only God, not only Job, not Jacob, but also is Jesus. If you read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you might think about that as being a little bit like a last will and testament. Um, because Jesus was directing certain things that would happen after his death on the cross. It is in this passage of scripture that he's seeking to bring comfort to his followers, but he reminds them in John 13 about the importance of our serving one another, and he teaches them a powerful lesson. When I'm gone, this is how you're to treat one another. You're to serve each other. It's in John 13 that he tells them about the importance of this new commandment that you are to love one another. He's directing how we would interact with one another after he was gone. It's in this passage of scripture that he teaches us the importance of obeying his commands. It is in this passage of scripture that he teaches us the importance of abiding in Christ because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. And you need to, be remain, you need to remain in me. You need to be connected to this vine. Jesus reminds us in John 17 about the importance of being together, of being one, of being a unit, of being the body of Christ. He said it would be by the love that we have for one another and the way that we function as one that the world would be able to know that the Father had sent him to be the Savior of the world. Jesus was directing for us how it is that we would live after his physical death. But the Bible also tells us something else that Jesus did, and we find that in 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you look with me to that passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5, and we find Peter beginning his letter to, the, uh, to these believers in this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two an inheritance, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you, those of you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Did you see that? Jesus gives us an inheritance and he gives us an inheritance that's undefiled and it's incorruptible. It's not going away. What is the inheritance Jesus gives to us? He gives us himself. He gives us life, life eternal. It's a great reminder to us that the legacy that we leave for other people does not have to be simply material possessions. We have the opportunity to be able to communicate to other people the gospel of Christ where they can find hope and help and life even after our living years. Well, what do we do with all this? Okay, what's the big deal? Okay, the Bible talks about inheritance and it says that these people were examples or models for uh, giving an inheritance. What do we do with that? 
Well, I want to first address four different groups of people that may be here before I give you the three application points that I want to share with you today. Uh, it may be that, that you're here and, and you're thinking, I don't have two nickels to rub together. I'm struggling financially. And so what in the world are you talking about me leaving you know, a million-dollar legacy gift somewhere? It's not about leaving a gift of money. It is a reminder to you that uh, wherever we find ourselves in life, whatever our lot and station and position in life, God has called us to be his faithful stewards of whatever he's entrusted to us. And I want to encourage you in this, that Jesus said, the one who is faithful in little, that even more will be entrusted to his care. It's not always material possessions. Let me illustrate it this way. Maybe God's given you the gift of teaching and you've decided, well, I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm just going to kind of sit on the sidelines for a while. Well, can I just say to you, don't expect God to be adding other spiritual gifts to your inventory of things that you can do. If he's given you one and you're not using it, you're not stewarding that one well, he's probably not going to be adding other things to that. But as we manage even the physical resources that we have, God will bless. Did you hear that passage I read earlier in, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy? It said, when you are in the land and your animals are multiplied and the silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. In God's economy, he has a way of rewarding and honoring and allowing you to be able to experience growth in your life and see wonderful things take place. And so if you find yourself saying, I don't have a whole lot, I can't think about giving something long-term, that's okay. Be faithful right where you are. Trust God to continue to provide for your every need and you will discover in time the Bible says in Proverbs that wealth gained little by little will continue to grow. And it's important for you to continue plotting and allow God to continue to grow what he has given to you. Maybe that you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, I am that person that's got quite a bit. I mean, I've got, you know, more than one vehicle. I have more than one house and I've got some money in a bank account and those kinds of things. To you, I would simply say, I, I want you to ask, ask yourself a question. Why has God entrusted that to me? And I hope that your conclusion would be from the text that we've looked at today, going all the way back to Abraham, that it is God's desire to use me and you as his stewards to be the distribution channel of blessings to other people. It's a good question to ask ourselves when God gives increase has he given that increase for my living or that increase for my giving? It may be that God has prospered you so that you'll be in a place that you can give and give in the way that I'm talking about, even beyond your living years. Some of you may be here today and you are, um, you're, you're not married and you don't have any children and you have parents who are deceased, you don't have siblings, and you're thinking, you know, I have thought about this. What, what am I going to do with my stuff? What, what's going to become of that? I would ask you to do the same thing. Ask that question. What has God allowed me to accumulate whatever I've accumulated for? And how can I use that in a way to be intentional? And then the, the last group would be students. If you're a college student, high school student, you may be thinking, I don't know why you're talking about inheritances and wills. I'm not making a will today. Um, <clears throat> I want you to just understand the truth of scripture about this importance of our being able to bless other people and God using us as a source of blessing to others because there will be a time in your life uh, God allows you to continue to live many years and you will be at a place where you will have to manage more resources than you're managing today. Allow this to be a thought about the future for you. So what do we do? 
with all of this information. There are three things I want to challenge you to do today, and we're done. The first one of those is I want to challenge you to make a will. We really are blessed to live in a land where we get to have some say. Now, I will tell you that if you choose not to do this, the Commonwealth of Virginia has already decided there are statutes on the books. They have already determined where your estate will go and the order in which it will happen. They've already decided that for you. And they're not trying to be mean and cruel and force that on you, but that's because there are people who simply won't take the time to write this document. You can raise your hand and say, hey, I'd like to have a say in what happens with my stuff or the stuff that God's entrusted to me. And if you will do that, then you can be a part of the future direction of what God has given you. So the first thing I'd say is make a will. Don't miss this opportunity to do that. Um, It's going to be important for you as a steward to recognize, to take an assessment of what it is that God's given you and then to make some decisions under the leadership of God about what he would have you do with what he's entrusted to your care. Now, during your living years, but actually even beyond that time. Second thing I would say to you is make a will that lasts. Make a will that lasts. Now, I don't mean in terms that it won't become dated. I wish I could tell you that, that Jan and I made these wills because we were just so far ahead of everyone else and we understood the importance of being a good steward. We didn't know that's not really true. We made these 10 years ago because we were leaving, flying to Europe with a group of students from here and we were leaving two minor children behind. Somewhere along the way in that journey, it dawned upon us, you know what? That's kind of irresponsible if we take off and get on a plane and we don't come back and we've left two small boys here in the care of a babysitter here. And so in preparation for that trip, we made our wills because the will gives you the opportunity as well to direct who will take care of your minor children. That's a pretty big decision. Who's going to do that? Again, if you don't choose, the government will choose for you who will do that. It may be someone you like, it may be someone you don't like, but they will do that for you, okay? So when I say making a will that lasts, I'm not talking about one that just won't have to be updated. We're about to update ours right now because I don't need guardians named in our will anymore. Our children are all of majority age now. We need to change some things in that. When I say make a will that lasts, I'm saying make a will that allows for you to give beyond your living years. For you to consider how it is that God would use the things that he's allowed you to have. Shared this with you before in some settings of of being in college or getting ready to go to college and and recognizing the forward thinking of a godly lady by the name of Maddie Kaufman. I never knew her. She died before I ever went to First Baptist Church of Athens, Alabama. But I'm talking to you about her today because she left a legacy gift. She recognized as she looked down the corridor of time, she said, There are going to be some young men that God's going to call to ministry, and they're going to need to make preparation for what they're going to do. She set aside a portion of her estate to be in a fund that would perpetually provide scholarships for ministerial students at Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm grateful for that lady, although I never knew her and she never knew me. You see, she left a gift that was very purposeful and that had clear direction about how it would make impact in the future. I want to encourage you 
to think in that way about, God, how would you use me in this way to impact others that I don't even yet know for the sake of the kingdom? Talked with a staff member here recently about one of their family members who had been on the international mission field with the International Mission Board. And he said, our family sat us down, brought the kids together and said, look, we want to talk with you about what we have decided to do. We have given our lives to missions and we're going to bless you when we pass. We have arranged in our estate for you to receive a part of this as an inheritance and as a blessing. But we want you to know you're not getting everything because we have decided that we want a part of what God has allowed us to have to continue to work to fund the cause of the gospel going around the globe. We've given our lives to that. We love Jesus and we want other people to know him. And so we're going to use everything within our power to be able to do that. And in addition, there are three churches that have invested heavily in us. And we've named those churches in our will as well. So you need to know when we pass, this is how it's going to happen. That's called estate planning. And that's called great communication with your children. Sharing with them about what's important with you. The last thing I would say to you is not only make a will, make a will that lasts, but make a will that includes Jesus. Uh, on your, this week at first, if you'll look at that little logo there that says stewards underneath, you'll see two websites. I've given you the website for the Southern Baptist Foundation, sbfdn.org, because on that website, there's plenty of information about legacy giving. That's why they exist, is to be able to help people plan out the kinds of things I'm talking about. But there's a document called My Legacy Story. You recognize that you have the opportunity to direct an attorney to write whatever you jolly well please in your will, okay? And one of those things I wanna encourage you to do, and this will walk you through, is helping you think through how do I tell my story, even as a part of my will, of how Jesus changed my life. I think we have an opportunity to influence future generations with the gospel of Christ, even through a simple tool of including your testimony in your will. There's another tool that's on there. It's listed. It's the planned giving ministry. And outside in the lobby, you'll find some guys at the table that says PGM. And that is a part of our planned giving ministry as a church. That is a, a resource in our church of men, laymen in our church who are committed to helping people who would say, hey, I want to think that way. I want to figure out how I could direct some assets in this direction in order to have a long-term impact for kingdom purposes. What's the point? Well, the point is this. We're stewards of everything that God has entrusted to our care. We're stewarding all of those things every day. But there are opportunities for us to steward them that will go beyond our living years. And I just want to invite you and challenge you today to give thought to and have conversation with spouses and families about what about this thing about inheritance? What are we going to do? Many of you have already decided some of these things. I understand that. Some of you have not thought about those. I want to encourage you to take advantage of these resources that might help you in your thinking. Next Sunday, we're going to gather back together here and worship. Eric will be back. We'll finish this series on stewards, and we're going to be doing a harvest offering on that day. 
I want to invite you next week, between now and that time, to give some thought to this and to consider that one of those things that you might do, I realize you're probably not going to have a will by sunset today. That's probably not going to happen for many of you if you don't already have it. I want to encourage you and invite you to consider that one contribution you might make in this offering next week would be simply a written commitment on your part that says, I'm going to leave something, a part of my estate, something I'm going to give and leave as a part of a legacy through my estate planning to this church. I read a story about a pastor in Texas who picked up the newspaper and he read that a, a gift of about $8 million had been given to the university in his community. As he read the article, he came to the name of the donor. It was a member of his church. He met the man the following week in church and he said, I saw, you know, the article in the paper. He said, look, I just have a question for you. I want to know why you didn't consider your church when you were making that gift. And he said, that's easy, pastor. He said, no one from the church ever asked me to give a gift like that. May that never be said of me. Okay. Now, here's what I mean by that. Seriously, I want to be clear. I'm asking you to as a steward of everything that God has entrusted to you to be faithful to make sure that what God has entrusted to you continues to go to work for kingdom purposes beyond your living years. And I will certainly be bold enough to say I'd ask you to give it to this church. Now, I realize looking at many of you in the room, I will never benefit from anything you give to this church in an estate giving plan. That's not the point. You realize you're sitting on pews today that many of you did not buy. You're enjoying a building that many of you did not build. Why? Because some people who came before us did this for us. When I'm talking about legacy giving, I'm talking about you thinking about people that are not yet reached with the gospel. Some of you saw an email this week that was going around in our church from a missionary in our church who's in another country right now working with an unreached, unengaged people group that we've been working with for five years. One lady in this tribe said, I'm not there yet, but I want to be the first believer in Jesus in my tribe. See, those kinds of things get funded because of people who are forward thinking and are not thinking about what could we do for us that would be more comfortable. We're thinking about how could we reach people for Christ that are not yet reached with the gospel. The testimonies you saw up here earlier people who would say my life was broken and ruined and Jesus restored my life and made me whole this church is in the business of sharing the gospel with people around the globe I want to invest some of the resources that God's entrusted to me in that kind of ministry I'm not going to be selfish and say this is the only place to give goodness knows I would say to you though please for heaven's sake make sure that part of your estate is going to eternal kingdom purposes. Find something that you are passionate about and allow God to direct you for how you would direct assets that would go beyond your living years, not for your glory, for his glory. You see, he gave the children of Israel that land as an inheritance to make his name great. We have an opportunity as his stewards to direct his resources at his disposal. I'm simply asking you to be obedient to what God leads you to do.
Let's pray, and then we're going to sing one commitment hymn, and we will be gone today. Father, thank you for reminding us from your word, again, of just the beauty of the relationship we have with you of, of steward. God, thank you for modeling for us generosity and giving. And I pray that you would help us learn to hold the things and the stuff in this world with open hands and loosely. God, would you lead us to be incredibly gracious and generous in ways that cause people in years to come to have access to the gospel because of the obedience of the people sitting in this room today. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Would you stand?